if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. Hour number two now underway. Nine minutes past 10 o'clock on this Wednesday, the 16th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord 2020. And we've got good news for you if you are a Wednesday listener, but not a Tuesday listener. If you're not a Tuesday listener and everybody has different listening habits according to their schedules and their preferences. But if you are not a regular Tuesday listener, you don't get to hear Peter Kirsten now. Since today is Wednesday, it is a treat for you. You get to hear Peter Kersenow. Peter Kersenow is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He's a Cleveland attorney, is a best-selling author. He's a contributing columnist to uh, the National Review, as well as other publications. And he hosts the Kersenow Report here on AM 1420, The Answer. Peter, good morning, my friend. An odd day for us, but I'm, it's uh, great to have you. Great to be here, and thanks for the intro, Bob. You know, I um, haven't been watching a whole lot of football, but I did see Travis Kelsey uh uh, at least some version of him catch at least a look like two touchdown passes from what I could tell and a lot of others. It looks like the quarterback constantly throws it about eight feet into the air where only Travis can get it. You're uh, you're kind of correct on that. He knows what he's got. He knows that 50-50 balls to some people are more like 80-20-90-10 balls because they always seem to come down with them, so, uh, so they do that. Thank you. That's kind, uh, kind words for those who know what we're talking about. Uh, Pete, since you brought up football, um, breaking news this morning. The Big Ten is back. Uh, they're going to start playing on October 24th. And I'm trying to do the math. Uh, that would mean if they play that week and then four weeks in November and four weeks in December, that would get them nine games. Um, I don't know if that would be enough how the NCAA is going to is going to configure the playoffs. I don't know. Would would an Ohio State going nine and zero or eight and one be allowed to participate in the college football playoff? I don't know. But at least they're back, Pete. Yeah, it's scrambled. I, I didn't see whether or not. I know uh, as of yesterday, it looked like Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Maryland were still balking. Are they going to participate? Well, I just know that the Big Ten. Literally, here's what I have as of nine minutes ago on USA Today. Uh, the Big Ten said its Council of Presidents and Chancellors voted unanimously Tuesday to restart okay. their fall sports. Uh, the last vote was 11-3 to 3 to postpone with Ohio State, uh, Iowa, and Nebraska voting against that. Um, but, yeah, it just looks like the Big Ten is playing. So I cannot imagine that a school would watch the rest of their conference or two schools I watch the rest of the conference play I mean, uh, and, not, and not be a part of that. 
Right. Uh, but, I can't see how the Big Ten could have not played when you've got the other major conferences, or at least the other major conference, SEC, playing, because from a recruiting standpoint, from a draft standpoint, that would be a debacle for the Big Ten. Yeah. Yeah, the SEC and the ACC are playing. Clemson, of course, playing already. And, uh, you know, these are teams that Ohio State would figure to be in the mix with uh, to potentially win a national championship. And, Pete, how glad are you that they're back, considering what you and I both uh, agreed upon? We're not watching the National Football League. And as a matter of fact, we're not alone. Uh, the Monday night ratings, now people have to remember this. This isn't just a regular Monday night season debut. This isn't, you know, just something they do every single year. This followed an entire summer of no sports, with the exception of the NBA and a bubble in Orlando. Uh, and, of course, with their wokeness, people are turning that off, too. But a, a, a hungry, sports-starved nation gets the NFL back, and ratings were down on Monday night 38%. Now, I'm not a math major, so I can't calculate that in dollars, but knowing that it's a billion-dollar league, that's got to be a lot of money it's costing them in terms of advertising. Were it any other industry, the people who are leading the NFL would be fired. I mean, this is a debacle of just almost unimaginable proportions. They made a... This was a cell phone. It was a, a, a cell phone in terms of... Or, or an on goal. I mean, it was just incredible. They could have managed this much better. But I think, um, you know, I, I spoke on one of the shows over the last week. I don't remember which one it was uh, about the fact that this was a giant problem because Rush said it best in the lead into whatever show I was on. They played um, Rush Limbaugh, who said, and I, I agree with this, that NFL has this feeling of patriotism. Football has a feeling of patriotism. It's, it's almost an inchoate quality. It's mm-hmm. almost a martial quality to it. It almost is like battle on the field. But I, I keep thinking about one of the most stirring moments of the last 20 years was when Whitney, Whitney Houston sang the national anthem um, after 9-11. It was extraordinary. And now what they've done is... That was, that have, was actually, that actually, Pete, that was right after uh, uh, um, uh, the Iraq uh, war had right started. Yes, yes, yeah. yes exactly, exactly. I'm sorry, I'm not, the, not the Iraq war 2003, the Gulf, uh, our, our, the Gulf that, war when we went to yes. Kuwait. Yeah. yeah, so uh, that was just, many of your audience members don't even know what we're talking about probably, but nonetheless, that was one of the most stirring moments I've, I can remember in a long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sports has this kind of, as I said, a nebulous patriotic patriotic quality to it that the NFL has damaged and damaged in a way they've damaged their brand because a lot of the people who watch it are the most uh, patriotic the most um, you know they're big conservatives obviously want to watch football and do in higher proportions than progressives do I mean there's there's data related to all of this and um, it's based on a lie these players and the NFL are doing something based on something based on this premise that America is racist, that cops are hunting down blacks, as LeBron said, and that blacks are being shot in disproportionate numbers. All of those things, those are false. And yet we have an entire massive enterprise that's devoted to this proposition, are engaging in symbolic acts in furtherance of the proposition and it's doing incredibly incredible damage to national cohesion well let me that, that's a little um, hyperbolic it's doing some damage to american cohesion and we're at a fragile state right now giving everything that's going on but it's clearly doing significant damage to the nfl brand and i'm not for one i'm not crying in my beer about it 
No, I don't think you needed to restate that. I think significant is uh, accurate. It is significant damage to American cohesion and unity. And uh, our mutual friend, Heather McDonald, well, that's not fair. She's your friend. She's my acquaintance. I've had her on the program a couple of times. But Heather McDonald of the Manhattan Institute has done yet another video for Prager University highlighting what you're talking about right now. And this is what is so frustrating to me with respect to the sports leagues and particularly the NFL. They want to continue to advance the notion that what you just said is true, that the uh, that the, the biggest threat to a black life in America is a police officer or a white person hunting them down, as LeBron James called it. Um, they want the, the people to believe that that's the case. But what they don't give the American people credit for is that the American people are looking and listening and trying to find out the facts. And the facts, as Heather McDonald points them out, uh, as the New York Post pointed out in a great op-ed headlined, Crime, Not Cops, is by far the largest threat to black lives. They find out. You know, statistics, you give them all the time, but here's one just from the Post, you know, focusing on New York City, of course, being the New York Post. In 2019, 319 people were murdered. Fully 88% of them were black or Hispanic, and 93% of them were murdered by other blacks or Hispanics. That Almost 96% of all shooters and shooting victims in, in the Big Apple in uh, 2019 were people of color. Uh, people of color also accounted for 73% of the rape victims, 81% of the rape suspects, 69% of the robbery victims, 93% of the robbery suspects, 79% of felony assault victims, and 86% of the assault suspects. So, Pete, if black lives matter and the NFL wants to get that message that black lives do matter, and they do. I will say it unequivocally. Black lives absolutely do matter. And that being the case, how about we start saving some of them by hiring more police and not demanding the defunding of police so there are less of them? That's precisely what needs to happen. Let me give you some other stats. For the last 40 years, think about this for a moment. For 40 years, on average, there have been, and it, I mean, it's an average, and it varies. But every year, 5,200 blacks are murdered, 96% on average by other blacks. Now, think of the aggregate figure, 40 years, 5,200. We're talking nearly a quarter of a million people murdered. That's extraordinary. It is. And yet what we're focused on is every year between 10 to 15 unarmed blacks are shot by cops, okay? Um, And simply because they're unarmed doesn't mean they weren't dangerous at the time, doesn't mean that this was, you know, some giant travesty, but 10 to 15 of 5,200. And Black Lives Matter, the NFL, LeBron James are only concerned about the 10 to 15, and they're maintaining that cops are hunting down blacks. When you do the math on this, as Heather has done, as I've done, we've had numerous articles about this, what you see is that blacks are actually underrepresented in police shootings based on black over-representation in major crime. In other words, the kind of encounters that cops would have with a suspect that might lead to a shooting, blacks are heavily over-represented in those categories. And when you do the math in terms of proportions, blacks are actually under-represented in the amount of shootings that would be anticipated based on black involvement in major crimes. Uh, So, you know, this... um, the, the whole notion is just a complete and utter lie. Another stat that you and I have talked about, it's probably been a couple of years since then, is that you know there, the, the representation out there is that 
when you think of Black Lives Matter, you think of this mean, racist, white cop who shoots an innocent black, okay? That's what you, you uh, I think the mind goes to. That's what the media seems to be fostering. Well, the fact of the matter is, white cops, as you might imagine, if you're an adult and you have any sense of human nature, are, I won't say petrified, but they're very reluctant to pull their service revolver for reasons you can, are, are abundantly clear whenever they're dealing with a black suspect. And the data show that. Here's what the data show, and this is truly extraordinary. Black cops are 330%, not 3%, not 4%. When you're talking about data, usually if there's a discrepancy, it's 3 4%, something of that nature. And when you get to 10%, you know, okay, this is statistically meaningful at this point. Black cops are 330% more likely to shoot a black suspect than a white cop. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why that is. So the entire enterprise around which BLM and Antifa and the Democratic Party and now the NFL and others, all the wokesters are, are basing this on, it's completely false. And there's a reason why this is important. I mean, there's several reasons. Truth is always important. But what we're seeing now is this perpetuates the violence, the riots that we see. We saw the most despicable and disturbing circumstance in L.A. just recently with the two cops being shot point blank. This is fueling more of this kind of activity. This would not be happening. All of these riots, I would argue, wouldn't be happening if George Floyd's situation was seen to be an anomaly. And by the way, we can talk about the actual facts of the George Floyd situation, and that doesn't fall within the, the framework of what BLM and Antifa and all the others are talking about. But this rioting, all of this, uh, these assaults on cops, the killing of cops, is being fueled by an utterly false narrative. More black people are going to die as a result of this. And here's the stat. I mean, it, it can be quantified. That's what's so amazing about this. Um, in, we've talked about the Ferguson effect, Bob, and that's where cops withdraw from active policing because of consent decrees, because of all the opprobrium directed against them. And now it's exacerbated by various woke mayors telling cops to, to stand down, to right. defunding the cops. Well, that's known as the Ferguson effect on steroids, okay? Less policing. And when that happens after the Ferguson effect, in the succeeding year after Ferguson, after the Michael Brown incident, and in other similar incidents, I'll just focus on the Ferguson incident. Go ahead and finish there, this point quickly, Pete, so we can get our break. Because of the crime surge related to it, 1,800 more blacks were killed in the subsequent year, were murdered in the subsequent year than were in the previous year. Because of the crime surge, you can quantify this, and it's going to be just as bad, if not worse, this year. So that's one of the reasons why a false narrative is so pernicious and dangerous. 1,800 more black lives lost when they're supposed to matter, and they're lost because of the attacks on these cops. Well said, Peter. We'll pick it up with the Los Angeles deputies shooting uh, from three nights ago, right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it's 1025. Now we continue on AM 1420, The Answer with Peter Kersenow. Peter, um, 
You saw the same thing that the rest of us did, just the shock and the horror of the two Los Angeles County police or uh, sheriff's deputies, rather, uh, shot at point blank range uh, in an attempted essentially an assassination. A 24 year old male and a 31 year old female with a six year old child, both shot in the face, somehow managed to survive. Their lives are going to be altered forever, but they are going to pull through this, according to the latest it's the reaction to that, though, Pete, that I want to focus on. First of all, you have uh, people on the scene, on the spot, videotaping the shooting and the struggling deputies trying to uh, uh, tend to one another while calling in a radio call about their shooting and the uh, individuals gleefully cheering about how the police just got aired out, as they call it, meaning filled with holes. Uh, then they blocked the entrance to the emergency room at the hospital and stood outside while they were in surgery cheering for the officers to die. And then in the aftermath, not a word from the Black Lives Matter uh, champions like LeBron James, like uh, vice presidential candidate Kamala Harris, who went and visited Jacob Blake and Jacob Blake's family and called them wonderful people, um, has not said a word about going to see the families of the victims in this Los Angeles deputy shooting. Pete, your reaction? Uh, the only reaction you can have is, I mean, it's one of a revulsion. I saw it uh, shortly after it happened, and, you know, we've seen a lot of things over the course of the last three months. We've both seen a lot of things in the course of our lives. Um, You'd have to, you'd be hard-pressed to find something that better encapsulated a manifestation of evil, and that's what should be called. You know, I know the media and and a lot of progressives like to refrain from um, using terms such as evil, but there's no better way of describing that. Frankly, almost no other way of describing it. Yeah, there are all kinds of other adjectives that could be applied to it, but when you heard, and you probably did hear, individuals who taped some of the um, incidents surrounding that, that is, in the immediate aftermath and when they tried to block the emergency room access, uh, they were cheering, they were laughing, they were making pejorative comments about the officers, and you have to ask yourself, what kind of psychopaths would do something like that? Um, It's evil. It's not merely psychopathic. And I think we have to start using, not start, but continue using terms such as that unabashedly, because we are in a cultural struggle, we're in a societal struggle right now that is existential. And that's not, I don't believe that's overstating it. We're witnessing something that could lead to the destruction of the United States. We're already seeing many of the uh, uh, norms related to societal structure fray, if not be rent asunder. This is, this is craziness. And um, for an entire political party to be mum about this is extraordinary. They have essentially... And again, not entirely mum, by the way. Not entirely mum, Pete. I apologize. But Joe Biden did say after the fact that we should uh, uh, go after guns again. He, his response to this was to tweet, we need more gun control. We have to get these weapons of war off the streets, even though this was a handgun and not an AR. Yeah, they're going, they're going after inert objects. And you can have a discussion about that. I mean, you and I are on one side of that, that equation. But the, the fact of the matter is that they go after inert objects, but fail to get to the essential motivation behind this, and they perpetuate and inflame it. They have some responsibility for this. They are perpetuating lies. It's one thing when you casually say something or you mistakenly say something that could lead 
you know, have adverse consequences. But they are taking overt action to promote these kind of, this is foreseeable, in other words. It is eminently foreseeable that you're going to have these kinds of things. Frankly, you and I, Bob, have been talking about the fact that something like this is going to happen for the last four months now. Uh, th- this is not rocket science. Every adult can tell what's going to happen, and it must be condemned with unequivocally, unequivocally, not talk about gun control, as if some guns, you know, just decided on its own it's going to get out of some case at, at a gun shop and shoot these cops. No. Evil pulled the trigger and has to be said in those stark and clear terms. None of this sociological equivocating about what's going on. We know it is happening and it needs to be stopped right now. And an entire political party needs to stop perpetuating this for purposes of their own political, perceived political advantage. Now, I happen to think that's going to be to their political disadvantage. But the politics of this are the least important thing. This has to do with human nature. We have two cops. And when you think also see the aftermath of this and the valiant efforts on the part of the female cop, and I apologize for not knowing her name or right off the top of my head, but you know, you put yourself in her position and say, could I have done the same thing she did? It was really something, really amazing. Heck, if I scratch my finger, I'm not sure I could render assistance to somebody else. But that was, um, that, that was heroic in the truest sense of the word. We use that term all the time. We're always talking about heroes and things like that. People get up and go to work and they're heroes. No, these individuals are heroes. They didn't deserve what happened. They're out there to protect the public. And you had evil, despicable people pulling a trigger and evil, despicable people cheering for them and evil and despicable people blocking the, the way to the ambulance and evil and despicable people staying silent when they were speaking out about everything else. Right. That, that, that to me is key. And the uh, Los Angeles sheriff challenging LeBron James to match the donations, that for, uh, or match the uh, reward money, I should say, in donations that are coming in, and then to double it since he says he's uh, pro-law enforcement. But we all know what his words have been. Uh, Peter, we'll take a time out of here for news. On the flip side, we're going to get into the election fully. President Trump uh, subjected himself to George Stephanopoulos last night on ABC. I haven't seen Joe Biden do anything close to that. I want to get your thoughts on that next. Okay, 1038, we continue now right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Peter Kirsten now stays with us, and since we're going to pivot the conversation to President Trump, it's also a good time to remind you about the latest Dinesh D'Souza film, uh, perhaps his most important. It's called Trump Card, and it's an expose on socialism or of socialism, corruption and gangsterism that defines the modern Democrat Party, whether it's creeping socialism of Joe Biden, the overt socialism of Bernie Sanders, doesn't matter. The film reveals what's unique about modern socialism, who's behind it, why it's evil, and how we can work with the president to stop it. It's perhaps the most important election of our lifetime. Not even perhaps. 2016 was the most important election of my lifetime to date. This one will exceed that. The stakes are high, the battle lines are stark, and this new film by Dinesh D'Souza explains why, as only Dinesh can do. Go to TrumpCard.com. Rather, go to WatchTrumpCard.com. WatchTrumpCard.com to pre-order your video on demand and DVD now. Don't miss this important film. Pre-order the DVD and video on demand now at WatchTrumpCard.com. That's WatchTrumpCard.com. Speaking of Trump, uh, Peter Kersenow, Last night, the president subjected himself to something that 
I don't understand why he did, to be quite frank, um, because what he he subjected himself to was a cross-examination on virtually everything that he has done and said by the DNC. Um, ABC actually hosted the thing, but George Stephanopoulos, we all know, was a Clinton operative, was the Clinton communications director, and he is about as partisan as there is anybody in the Alphabet Networks. And he agreed, President Trump did, to sit down and let George Stephanopoulos grill him and let a bunch of supposed independent voters or undecided voters uh, ask him questions. Uh, And I say supposed because each and every question was critical. They asked him about his uh, COVID-19 response and the fact that he downplayed it in the Bob Woodward interview. They asked him about the suckers and losers lie that was spread by the Atlantic. They asked him, I mean, I mean, everything they asked him was basically grilling him. This thing might as well have been hosted by the Democratic National Committee themselves. So, Peter Kersenow, my question to you is, did the president help himself with events like this going on ABC? Or is it only smart of him to do this? If, uh, you know, if Joe Biden is going to subject himself to an hour long, uh, hour long worth of questioning by Tucker Carlson. Yeah, I, I probably I may be in the minority on this, but and it's counterintuitive. But I think he helps himself by doing this. And, I, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Uh, but first, let me note one other thing about President Trump. Uh, one of the reasons I wasn't on yesterday was because I was out of town in an arbitration, and it wasn't like I was going to some glamorous place, although it was a very beautiful place. I was in Wharton, West Virginia, of all places, and it's gorgeous. It's right along the Ohio River, but I had to drive back. Um, uh, and when I drove back, I was listening to President Trump, and it, what was extraordinary to me is his incredible stamina. I know that he was doing Fox and Friends at 7 a.m. in the morning, and I think he was on for an entire hour. I don't recall what he did after that, but he was doing something else, I mean, very active, and then he was at the signing ceremony for which he deserves the Nobel Prize with respect to Bahrain and the Emirates and Israel. And that took a long time, and he gave a speech there. <clears throat> Um, and then he had some other event thereafter, and then he sits down for this interview with Stephanopoulos, a, what you know is going to be a hostile interview, as you've just indicated. So the stamina of this individual is extraordinary for someone who is 25, let alone somebody in his 70s, and the contrast with uh, Joe Biden couldn't be starker. So that's one thing. But going back to your original question, I do think uh, Trump helps himself because, unfortunately, we know that almost all of the press is hostile to him. And they, for example, if you talk to your average liberal today, he doesn't know any of the details behind this historic peace agreement because the media, whereas Barack Obama got a Nobel Prize just for being Barack Obama, the media has not really covered this very much. To the extent they have, they've given the Democratic perspective on it, and it's truly extraordinary. He has an historic peace agreement, not just with these two Middle East nations, but he had another one with with respect to Bosnia and, and, and uh, uh, Kosovo, Serbians and Kosovo, and... Um, Again, not very much coverage. Had Obama done something like this, it would have been the greatest thing since the, you know, I I don't know, since the VJ day. But he does all of these things, and um, I think it's important for him to get past that media filter that we see. It's, It's not just a filter. It is a Berlin Wall where anything positive related to Trump is locked up behind it and Independent voters don't get an unfiltered view if they watch anything 
other than Fox. So the president goes into Lion's Den knowing that it's going to be hostile. Look, this guy's a very smart guy. He knows it's going to be a hostile environment. He is going to be subjected to hostile questions, but they don't have a filter. He gets to make his case, better or worse. Is it going to sway all the people who are normally watch an ABC or CNN? Or no, of course not. Those people made up their mind well before the uh, 2016 election, and they're not going to change it. They're wedded to their position. They're not going to move from it. But the focus is on that very narrow sliver of individuals. Some are Democrats, titular, titularly Democrats, nominally Democrats. Some are independents. But they don't get to hear Donald Trump unfiltered. And when you hear him unfiltered, he doesn't come across as the big orange man. Yeah, he comes across as, uh, you know, gruff sometimes. He comes across as boastful sometimes. You know, all the things that for many of us who've been watching him for several years find endearing now because he gets things done. But he explained himself, for example, in the Stephanopoulos interview, when somebody said, and I, I heard this, I think it was on the Hewitt Show this morning when I was, when I was listening to when I was running, mm-hmm. um, he, somebody asked him, you know, why can't you be more presidential? And he said, look, I've got to get things done. Sometimes I've got to fire people. Sometimes, you know, I've got to do all these different things. And he makes an outstanding point that this guy has gotten more done, and it's truthful. He has gotten more done in his first term than any president I can think of. And it's been an extraordinary journey. I think I told you when uh, one of the times I was at the White House, uh, I, I don't know if I've, I've mentioned this to you. I know I've mentioned it to a couple of other close friends. I don't think I've mentioned it on the air. But uh, for a while, after I met with Trump, I was in a, an office right off the Oval Office. And on, it, there was nothing on the walls whatsoever. It was a completely white wall. And written there on, again, this is February of 2017, barely two months after the election. And there was a list of, I think, about 125 action items that were in magic marker on that white wall. And I won't tell you all the things that were on that wall, but there are many of the things that you might expect, all of the goals that Trump had enunciated. And already by February, he had stricken maybe, I don't remember, 16 or 17 of them. And I can tell you, based on my general recollection of all the other things that were on that wall, he has gone beyond those that list. He fulfills his promises. That's what's extraordinary. And he has done just the opposite of what they say he was going to do, such as he's going to get us in wars. No, he's been one of the greatest peacetime presidents imaginable, forging peace agreements all over the place that would get any lesser president the Nobel Prize in a heartbeat. So going on Stephanopoulos, I think, could sway two to three percent of the vote. And in any close election, and maybe I'm being optimistic, but in any close election, that's important. Contrast that with Joe Biden, who is sticking with his basement strategy or his weak field strategy of merely focusing on those who hate Trump. Bottom line is, Trump shows how vigorous he is, how energetic he is, and the contrast with Biden couldn't be sharper. Aside, put your policies aside. By whom do you want this great nation led? Some guy who's afraid to come out of his basement, and when he does come out, is completely befuddled about what's going on, or a guy who's one of the most dynamic personalities you're ever going to meet and has a record of accomplishment that really can't be matched. 
Two responses to all of that, Pete, and then I'll give you the last word. Number one, you forgot to say that all of those things that he did and those promises he kept were in the face of unprecedented opposition, unprecedented obstruction between the Russia probe and then the Ukraine impeachment nonsense and everything that they have thrown at this guy. Uh, Nobody has ever had to work under those conditions, much less get things done. That's number one. And number two is when you talk about um, uh, what, what the president has done, Compared to Joe Biden, uh, insofar as the accomplishments, it's not going to be an accomplishment for those who are left of center, undecided, but left of center. See, what I mean by that is, you know, yeah, you can say Trump got taxes lowered. Well, they don't want taxes lowered. They think taxes should be higher because they want the rich to pay their fair share. Say Trump got us out of the Paris Climate Accord. You and I say, yay, got it done, made, kept a promise. But they say, yeah, but we don't want that promise kept. We think that's terrible. We're going to vote for Joe Biden, even though what you said is true. Who do you want? The guy out there working or the guy in the basement? They're going to say the guy in the basement because he's going to at least promise them the things that they want to hear. I think, as I said, I believe, I agree with that, but I think most of the nation at this point is unpersuadable one way or another. But I do think that there, there are, there's 2 to 3% that are persuadable. And when you watch what Trump has done, his mere energy by itself is an extraordinary contrast. His, his mental acuity compared to Biden or anyone else, frankly, is extraordinary. What's interesting to me is, and yesterday capsulized all of this, is how Trump came in, bull in the china shop, and not part of any kind of establishment, clearly not uh, a creature of the beltway, and came in, and even though everyone else was doing the, these various things the same way, whether it's Republican or Democrat, they were doing the same thing with some small variations, maybe, the same approach to all these issues, all these problems, over and over and over again, for 70, 80 years doing the same thing. Trump comes in with absolutely no you know, uh, preconceived notions as to how to get things done, but uses his brain, his acumen, and his experience as a deal maker and somebody who gets things done. And he accomplishes things that these guys never did. And he did it in a way that they say can't be done. And it's yep. driving them absolutely nuts. Yeah, I remember the, uh, the the recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and the movement of the uh, American embassy there was supposed to enrage the Arab states. And here we are, two years after having done so, they're sitting at a table signing a peace accord, signing an agreement to normalize relations with the nation of Israel. That's just not supposed to be possible, and yet it was done. By the way, Pete, last thing, you um, you said 2 to 3% is persuadable. Does that mean you think 97 to 98% of Americans have already made up their mind and they're voting their, for their guy, period? Yeah, I think that's true. I that's, think that's, that's, that's how happen. small the undecided vote is, is just 2 to 3%. I, I, do, I do, because with a guy like Trump, you either love him or hate him, and you know what, you, what, um, what, what side you're on right away. And, but here's what, we talked about this too. I do think, like a lot of people have said, I've, I've said this for the last four years, there is a significant cohort of potential voters who are the shy Trump voters. They're never going to tell people who they are going to vote for. What's amazing to me is that we saw that dynamic in the last election with the polls, and yet they're repeating that mistake in, in the current polls. I know a number of people who are not, you know, shrinking violets, who will never tell pollsters what they are going to do, and will never put a Trump sign on their front lawn or on their, their cars. But they're there, they're going to vote, they're going to walk over broken glass, and anybody who reluctantly voted for Trump last time because they had questions about him, you know, and everything else, they're not reluctant anymore. Those people yeah. are not changing their vote, they're voting for, for Trump, they're not going away, and he's persuading others too. Peter Kersenow, outstanding stuff, my friend. Thank you so much for the great conversation. We'll talk next week.
Say hello to Travis for me. Will do. Thank you, my friend. Peter Kirsten now on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll be right back. Okay, 10.55, final segment of The Authority for this Wednesday. I want to spend the last couple of minutes reminding you what's coming tonight. Uh, Citizens for Free Speech, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that I support and work with, want you to be a part of the first webinar for the Ohio chapter. CFFS is a national organization, but Ohio is the first state chapter because we have so many members. There's just shy of 20,000 members nationwide since this began about three months ago, and over 2,000 of them are from Ohio alone. This state and conservative-minded people, believers in our uh, constitutional republic, boy, uh, we believe in the First Amendment. So Citizens for Free Speech uh, is uh, having the first webinar tonight here in Ohio. I will be hosting it, and our first presenter will be Jack Windsor, who joined us earlier in the program. If you missed Jack's conversation in the 930 segment, listen to it on our podcast page, whkradio.com. Go to the podcast page. Uh, but Jack is going to present. We're going to talk about the First Amendment attacks or rather attacks on the First Amendment, by the Ohio Health Orders. Some egregious violations of the First Amendment, including the mandates to wear face masks, the mandated uh, social distancing and limitation in our churches. We cannot practice religion freely, which the First Amendment uh, uh, declares that we can. Uh, All kinds of problems with the First Amendment just related to the COVID-19 Ohio response alone. That's what Jack is going to present on, and he is going to take your questions. You know, you always hear Jack on with me, and you hear me asking him about his questions that he asks to Mike DeWine. Now you can be a part of this and ask questions during the Q&A session. So here's the deal. You can't just click a link and watch the webinar. You have to register for the webinar. In order to register for the webinar, you have to go to citizensforfreespeech.org slash Ohio. You catch that? Write it down now. I'm going to say it slowly before we're done. citizensforfreespeech.org slash Ohio. All right? Uh, And then what you do is you fill out the membership section at the bottom of the page. It does not ask for any credit card information. It does not ask for money because this is free. Also, you will not have your information shared with anyone else. This is solely for Citizens for Free Speech membership. So you fill out that membership portion at the bottom of the page, click the red button that says sign up, and it will take you to another page, which is the registration for the webinar. And all you do there is enter your email address, and they're going to send you a link to watch the webinar and participate in it with the Q&A tonight. So once again, if you want to be a part of tonight's webinar, and I really hope you do, I want to pack that room up, if you will, that virtual room, go to citizensforfreespeech.org slash Ohio. Fill out the membership questions at the bottom, and it will take you to the Zoom link that you need to register for the Zoom webinar tonight with Jack Windsor as our featured speaker. Uh, it's a very important organization. This is the organization, by the way, responsible for the blue cards on the blue lanyards Thousands and thousands and thousands of those have been distributed around the country, uh, outlining your right to not have to strap a mask over your face to go into public places. It is extraordinarily important, and this is a very, very, uh, very worthy cause to support. It's free. Did I mention that? It's free. There is no cost to become a member of CFFS, and there's no cost to watch this webinar. 
But you do have to register at citizensforfreespeech.org slash Ohio and then follow the prompts to the webinar registration. I look forward to presenting and engaging with you tonight on that. And, of course, I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. Dr. Everett Piper will be with us on his regular Thursday call, and hopefully you as well. Thanks for being a part of the show today. Thanks to uh, Andy and Marcy for running it. And uh, Mike Gallagher is coming up next. Stay right here on AM 1420, The Answer.